Welcome to The Board, a podcast series on mechanical keyboards by the mechanical keyboard community. Proudly brought to you by Idea23. Awesome caps at great prices. Kibio, the place for split keyboards. And DIY keyboards. Get cracking. So today is the first week of, I guess, uh, our relatively different show format compared to usual. We're no longer trying to figure out if Kevin is going to be joining us or not. And I guess it's a little bit weird. I don't know. It's not really a new era or anything of that nature, but uh, I guess we'll just see what happens. Now, I have been discussing quite a bit with our community here on our Slack channel. Now, of course, if you do use Slack or you'd like to get involved in our Slack channel, and part of that is our suggestions sub channel, then please send me an invite, uh, an email to theboardpodcast at gmail.com so I can send you an invitation to, to come along and have your say. But one of the things that we have been discussing that seems to be a very popular suggestion, one that a lot of the folk in the channel have said that they'd be happy to see and hear and and try is doing community-based segments. So that has definitely sort of done a bit of a tick. Now, I don't have a segment available from anybody this week, but I do want to say that one, also known as Bus Gamer from Idea23, one of our sponsors, has actually reached out to me and said that he'd like to come back, of course, and have a bit of a chat just to update people on where he's at and what he's been up to lately because he has had quite a sort of hiatus from the community recently. So that's something to look forward to when I can tee up with one to make things happen. But if you have particular topics, you know, 10, 15 minutes, maybe even longer if you like, or if you'd like to serialize it into multiple slots, then please get in contact with us. Let us know because we're more than happy to help distribute what you want to say and discuss out to our community and, of course, to other keyboard listeners. So this week, I've got a small list of community-based topics as per usual, just some interesting things, a bit of discussion on some of the major things that have come up this week, plus a couple of things that people have asked me to talk about. We'll get through that. And of course, I'll have a quick chat and discussion about at least one of the competitions that's happening for April. Now we are getting, we are now past the middle of April coming up now. Uh, I actually haven't, (laughs) I, I do apologize and I admit that I just haven't had terribly much thought on what is going on in regards to our competitions and giveaways. So the only one that we've got at the moment, and I guess I might as well just talk about it now since I'm on the topic, is a our competition for the board podcast pin which i'd requested last week that if you would like a chance to win one of these pins then please let us know if you would like us to see uh, sorry if you'd like to see us develop a sticker or or work on stickers or a desk mat and so far the actual response from everybody who's entered and sent in an entry has been stickers and that's and that's perfectly fine but if you are in the position that you would rather see a desk mat then 
you got to let us know. Because if you don't, we get to the end of the month, we draw the competition, the pin goes out and everyone says stickers, 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 then that's the direction that we'll be working in towards. So please let us know. Let us know. Now, as for Kibio and DIY keyboards giveaways, uh, yet to find out, yet to think about and come up with something. But if you have an idea for a giveaway, something that's fun, something that's different, then please also let us know because I'm more than happy to make suggestions. You know, when you're two years in to doing something like this, ideas tend to run out very, very quickly. And we don't want to be recycling a lot of stuff that is not necessarily of the interest to you guys out there to participate with. So let's get into our topics of the week. Suppose as we just start running up into some of the topics, the first one I want to talk about is a really fantastic drawing that was done by Thomas Bart. Now, Thomas Bart, I don't really know who they are, except for the fact that they are somebody well within the mechanical keyboard community. They came up with a cheat sheet called Custom Keyboard Mounting Styles. And I actually... Even though I've been keyboards for a while now, and even though I have relatively good knowledge about a lot of different mounting methods, and I'm familiar with some of the terminology, I actually learned quite a bit from this cheat sheet. So I will, of course, have this in the notes. And if you didn't see it in the actual Reddit thread that this was posted, I actually found it separately. I found this through Facebook, one of the keyboard groups from the Philippines. Uh, on Facebook actually posted this and I went and looked it up specifically to find the uh, the higher resolution image, not the down sampled size. And wow, it's very detailed. I mean, he talks through seven different styles, tray mount, top mount, bottom mount, sandwich mount, plateless mount, integrated plate and gasket mount. And the side profile images that he's got drawn show very cleanly, very well, the general basis of these different types of mounts. So if you're interested in learning a bit more about how keyboard mounting works, then this is definitely a infographic that will assist you greatly. And if you're into designing your own keyboard and you want to think about the different options for mounting your keyboard design, then this would help you a lot. I would say that somebody who is brand new into mechanical keyboards and custom keyboards, this would make a massive helpful resource because there's so much terminology being thrown out there. You know, when interest checks go up and stuff like that, and they're like, it's a gasket mount keyboard. What does that actually mean? This will tell you. You know, a sandwich mount, this will tell you. Bottomless, uh, bottom mount, and so on and so forth. What makes this even more helpful, I suppose, is the fact that if you're if you're looking at designing a keyboard, not only does it tell you what kind of attachment styles and physical features that you have to think about, it'll also tell you a bit about the characteristics that you might expect. Okay, and so what I mean by that is it will actually say you know, this is more fragile than that, or this tends to be stiffer than other alternatives, or this may cause inconsistent sounds and things like that. So if you have tried a bunch of different custom keyboards and you really enjoy a certain style and you're like, well, you know what, I want to do that, but I want it to look like this. And by changing the look, because the look will affect the way that it mounts, 
you may not be realizing how it can affect other characteristics of the keyboard. Okay, so so this is really, really cool. And I want to say thank you very much to Thomas Bart. I'm very sorry if I mispronounced your surname there, but a big shout out. And I hope a lot of people will come along and, you know, preserve this image, save it, print it or whatever, put it into, you know, not playlists, but like wikis and things like that, because it's an amazing, simple, but very effective resource to understanding keyboard mounts. Rightio, moving along from keyboard mounts into switches. So switches, switch, there's, there's, look, there's a lot of switches, right? People have switch collections with over a hundred different switches in it. You can buy 60 plus switch testers from KBD fans and mass drops run them and Kale make their own ones and Cherry make their own ones and so on and so forth. The thing about switches, the thing about switches that we go crazy over is the fact that they all have different characteristics of feel and sound. And that's why custom mechanical keyboards is such a big deal because you can do a whole bunch of different things to suit your need requirements. And we've been through this. We've talked about this a lot previously. Keyboard science is something that uh, a lot of the community does and it's increasing and getting better and developing, you know, hybridization of switches. Holy Pandas, for example, was one. And now you've got like minty ones. So we're talking about like the Holy Panda mint uh, casings, the Yok Pandas, sorry, not really Holy Pandas anymore, the, the Yok Pandas, but then people switch, switching out the stem with the T1s from KBD fans and things like that. But a lot of this is based on subjective feel. And the topic thread that I'm talking about now is that somebody posted that Hata had put in some very interesting force curves on some switches that seem to be in development. Now, it's a couple of screenshots of three force curves and some data points, and it's Input Club Silo Control Prototype and the Input Club Silo Beam Prototype seems to be uh, and then the third one is input club silo command prototype. Okay, so we got control, beam, and command. Now they could just be project names and not the actual final name for the switches themselves. But what we're seeing here is a linear behavior, a tactile behavior, and a negative tactile behavior is possibly a way that I mean one could be a clicky uh, it's very hard to tell because I'm not super 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 read up on the force curves that they've got here but there is three different switch profile behaviors happening within this image so it's cool that there's continual development and changes that input club is working on and Hato is working on to bring new switches and new feel in switches to the market. I don't have a problem with that. Not at all. It, it just makes it harder and harder, though, for the community to continue to, well, not really keep track, because keeping track is relatively easy with databases and things like that. But we're getting to a point where too much choice now is actually being a thing. Long gone are the days where you all you had were just cherry switches. 
right? Like that, that was it. Like you want a mechanical keyboard, you had cherry switches, you dealt with it. You had linears, you know, reds, blacks, you had tactile browns, you had, you know, blues for majority, and then you had greens. And then some of the more, not exactly exotic switches, but the more unusual rare switches like clears or grays and things like that. Now, even within the space of four years, it's absolutely exploded. You know, we're talking Gatoron switches, Kale switches, Temu switches, these Arctic switches, you got Zeal switches, <laughs> you know, um, what else have we got? Like, and they're just the new ones that have been coming out. These new things that just keep getting developed and made and tweaked and adjusted. For me, a lot of these switches feel very similar. And unless if you take the time and care to compare them side by side, like I have, that I do when I use on my switch testing videos, when I'm looking at a new switch, or my switch tester library of keyboards that I've been slowly, patiently trying to build up and develop and fill out, it gets really challenging. And, you know, most people, the only opportunity that they have is to either buy a switch tester, which will contain whatever vendors have available in stock, or, or go to meetups. Are we at the point, though, where it just gets harder and harder for people to keep up and go, well, I'm going to be spending a lot of money to determine and to find out the perfect switch for me. At what point do we end up going, well, how much difference does it make? Can we have a blind test scenario where, you know, we would blindfold somebody and put earmuffs on them, right? And we sit them down on identical feeling keyboards well, sorry, identical, identical feeling keycaps with the same layout, just like what I've done with the switch library, or at least attempted to, and we type on them, and we go, what is that switch, and is that different? Like, how many people actually can distinguish between them? Like, I know for spring weights, there's a lot of spring weights that I can tell you 100%, I would have no idea what the difference is between them. As for feeling different, switches like if i felt gatoron browns to cherry browns to box browns and things like that this the differences are so subtle like i would be able to tell that there might be a difference but being able to know which one they were okay that doesn't really matter because you just be like i like this one the best whatever that is i'm just going to get that for a switch right but once you start getting into a lot of these negative tactile switches that gets even harder because of the characteristics of that fall away is also related to the spring weight. So how hard that edge is and how much pre-travel it is, it's it's all so very challenging, at least for me. But maybe that's just because I'm, I'm just not as sensitive compared to other people. And when you're at the meetup and you spam on it for a little bit and you're like, oh yeah, this feels nice, it doesn't give you that true reflection either of what it feels like to type on it regularly. Because for me, box navies are awesome. I can type on box navies for a while, and I can type on them all week. You know, I did that with my 96 switch keyboard for a while. I went away from that to work on the down bubble. But then when I went back to it briefly, I was like, wow, like these feel super heavy and hard now. Not that they were unpleasant, but I knew that if I wanted to go back to using box navies, there would be that ramp up of typing activity to be accustomed to them again. And rather than do that at this current point in time, I was just like, you know what, I'm not going to do that simply because, you know, my, my standard keyboard at home is still the blue, cherry blues. My work keyboard at the moment with the down bubble prototype is still 
box whites. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. I, I know that I'm digressing here because I really should be talking about how interesting these force codes are. It's hard to describe them. So you'll have to go and have a look at the actual sheet. And if you know more about how force curves look like, because I'm not going to do the comparison and try and nut that out right now, but they are very different from each other in the size of the bump and the sharpness of the bump and the fall off on some of the points for the tactile slash possible clicky switch here. Whereas the linear one is, it's just linear. Um, yeah, it's great. We're getting more options for the community, but at the same time, are we having too many options? Please, of course, let me know if you think that there's no such thing as too many options and it's not negative at all and any other thoughts that you have. Because right now, you know, I don't have someone to be bouncing off and having this discussion with. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm lonely here talking to myself. I'm used to it. A little bit of the crazies, but uh, yeah. All right, let's just keep moving. Keep moving, keep moving. Now, one of our community members asked me to have a chat and talk about DSA Scientific. What do I think of DSA Scientific? Well, the basis of DSA Scientific is a TI calculator. It's inspired, of course, by a TI calculator. Now, TI is Texas Instruments, for those who are not familiar with calculators and scientific calculators. I have a Texas Instruments calculator. It's in my drawer, buried. And I used it for maths C. So if you're an old dog like me from Queensland and you did uh, Queensland core skills mathematics and you did math C, then you'd probably know about the graphics calculator that I'm talking about. So I'm very relatively familiar with an older color scheme of TI instruments calculators. Mine has an orange button on it. It also had yellow buttons, and it did have a couple of these sort of teal and, and the Dolch style. So I do like it. It's very nice. It's very stylish. I just want to see that orange button, though, because that's like, that's just, that's just part of my history with TI Instruments. <laughs> so, so that's fine. That's fine. Uh, in regards to novelties... I feel the novelties, like we've got pi uh, exponential, we've got, um, you know, like a Planck constant, and we've got all of your uh, sine cos tans and things like that. Um, I feel like it needs like a prog button, like a program button on it as well. But that's just me. I also feel like that it needs to have novelty functions in the yellow more because and and having the orange now um it's actually it, it's a very modern key set it's very industrial looking i think that it doing what is it what what's the actual profile dsa yeah it's dsa right so so dsa suits it very well because it's actually well <laughs> it's actually very similar ish I feel like a flatter keycap would represent the calculator even better. And what I mean by that is, if it was something like a G20, it would actually look a lot closer 
to the buttons that were on my calculator. But that's just me. Now, there's no problem with it being DSA. Don't get me wrong. And there'd be also no problem with it being, you know, SA Row 3 either. It's just if you... And it is, of course, an inspiration-based set. An inspired-based set. <laughs> but um, I wouldn't mind actually having this on my, my work keyboard at all. It's it's actually quite nice. It's very muted. It's very professional looking. You could easily swap out the yellow highlight if you didn't want that yellow highlight. But uh, I would have it. And I would also like to have an orange highlight too. But that's just me. So that is a, a tick of approval from me. Not that anybody needs my approval. <laughs> I don't know if anybody's ever come to me and asked for my approval on on anything. So... Yeah, but you know what? There's always a first for something. So DSA Scientific April 10 launch, which has already happened as far as the interest check goes. It's a very solid looking set. I look forward to seeing it come through. I hope it's very successful. It'll certainly have a place in a lot of engineers' hearts, especially older ones who spent a lot of time on their calculators before learning and using and developing customized things in Excel or other high-end engineering products. So and I just remember spending hours on that darn thing doing matrix calculations. That, that was that was my life. My math Z calc uh, my math Z teacher was like, you people have it so easy these days having these calculators where you can put in your matrices because if you want to do a nine by nine transformation, this is how much effort we went through to do it and he had like this 48 page exercise book and it was like a new matrix every page where they were doing the transformations and the kids were in the class just like oh we're so glad that we have like this hundred dollar calculator a hundred dollars back then was a lot of money for a calculator hundred dollars now is still a lot of money for a calculator but hey you can play like wolfenstein 3d or doom on your calculator these days to be honest so i think you're getting a lot more bang for your buck compared to <laughs> what we did back then uh i think i remember somebody managed to get scorched earth on their calculator and you could get that like data cable plug in at the bottom and you could plug it up to two calculators those were the days those were the days so dsa scientific get in on the interest check if you're interested in it and give them your feedback until it runs into the next stage and into production. DSA Scientific. Pretty solid. Right. Closing some windows of stuff that I already have opened and talked about. So, today, this week's major topic of discussion and opinion because really right now at this point in time it's no longer a direct discussion because I don't have someone I'm bouncing with so I'm going to discuss it with you but you got to remember everything that I say on our podcast series here on this podcast series even when I have a guest or a co-host it's all opinion right it's all just opinion it's personal opinion based on our experiences based on our philosophies our beliefs our our morals and ethics as well so we should keep that in mind, especially on discussions on public forums as well, that it's all opinion, okay? Unless if there's scientific fact with evidence that is unbiased, 
we we want to try and reduce as much popcorn. Now, this week's topic is actually not very popcorny at all. It's not. It's not. Uh, and what we're talking about is Macmillan's thread about keyboard copies and clones. Bit of traffic happening in the background. Okay. So the background on this is that Macmillan had a keyboard to repair. And as part of testing the connections, they were like, well, should I port it into QMK? Because Macmillan is one of the maintainers and, and overarching people within the QMK community who do fantastic work. Absolutely fantastic work. But then they had some issues and they had two questions. Should QMK accept ports of PCBs that are copies of existing products? And what is the definition of a clone? Of course, in bracketed, conversely, what makes two similar PCBs different? What's the definition? There's a very in-depth sort of discussion here by a lot of people, and different views are portrayed. Now, I'm not going to go terribly deep into what other people have actually said, but my personal opinion is that I think because our community is still very small and very limited, and our community, especially for QMK being an open source based software, we shouldn't be in the position to not accept ports of copies in existing products. Now this is this is really challenging because it comes to the definition of what is a clone. Are we talking about clones of layouts or are we talking about actual clones which are one-to-one copies of the PCB and the components? And some of the discussion actually centers around that. So now Macmillan's post, very well written, has a couple of sort of arguments for the yes and the no. So the yes for port into QMK is that QMK is used on PCBs that are alternative PCBs for other keyboards. You know, how many PCBs are already clones, especially when we're talking about a specific case of the B-fakes. All right, so WinKeyless is out of business, and therefore a copy of a board that is no longer in production, is that a bad thing, right? The negative side to that, which is no, don't port it into QMK, is that copies and clones should not be supported at all because they're, they're copies and clones. And that it's a ripped off product and that clones are really crap or you know are, are things that are hard to acquire because they're limited runs and small things like on Tauber where a manufacturer just you know might have made some extras and rebadged them or stuff like that and that'll actually clog up the management of QMK because of the growing list of keyboards that is coming up and somebody has to maintain them so that, that's just some of the things that are floating in this consideration space and discussion about clones. And when I was developing QMK with the assistance of the fantastic folk on the QMK Discord, including Mac Merlin, one of the things that was discussed was how is my designs for some of these inherently different? And they have a particular classification of is it classified as a hand-wired job or is it a in-production board? And so, for example, the Nombrero, 
and the trade station, even though they have PCBs, the classification was to keep them within the down bubble space because it wasn't technically a group buy or a product that's mass produced for market. There's no vendor support on them or anything of that nature. And similarly for the down bubble, whereas the snag pad, which was the keypad that we did for the Sydney Mechanical Meetup last year, is actually not listed as a hand wide because it was actually mass produced in bulk. We're talking about, you know, 200 PCBs were made for sale specifically at the meetup. But at the same time, what would prevent me from now taking the Numbrero and going, you know what, the small amount that was done, because it was a custom job, became very popular, very useful, there's demand for it now, let's make it a run. Well, that's just as simple as picking that up and moving it across to the non-handwide section in QMK. And that's fine. The, the GitHub repository works well enough that you could do that. But then if I decide to say, you know what, I can't be bothered doing that. But somebody else goes, I really like that layout. I found a lot of people who want it and I want to run it. And they make a clone of that layout and somehow inherently they just straight up ripped off that PCB that I did. Well, does that mean QMK should tell them, no, bugger off, we're not going to put that in because you need to be supporting me, but then I don't want to make that happen. You know, there's, there's some very sensitive issues here because that's an inflation issue, right? That's a that's a market throttling issue. That's a community limitation issue. Some people might do that and say, you know what? Yeah, it's my intellectual property because I developed that layout and I did this, that, and the other, and you shouldn't be allowed to do that without me. Of course, there are other people who say, well, you know what? What are you going to do? You haven't trademarked it, you haven't copyrighted it, you haven't tried to patent it, and all that kind of stuff. Now, there's two things in the discussion thread that I feel line up very closely with what I believe. Okay, so one is actually from Baking Pie, Danny from Kibio, okay, which I believe was very well written and covers a lot of the things in that we, I, sorry, not we, but um, <laughs> so I don't have a problem with people at all making clones of what I make and having QMK accept them. I don't have an issue with it because I know that I don't have the resources to necessarily run a buy, but I'm happy if somebody says to me that they want to do one and they want to use my my information, and if I provide it to them, fine. Okay, I have people who contact me through email to our email address here or on Reddit and ask me about how I did stuff, and I I've even sent them exact, well not the actual PCB files, but I've sent them screenshots of my schematics, including my pin layouts that I use. It's because it's a community thing, right? If I'm not doing a good job, and and baking pie says this exactly, it's like. I should try and make it as easy as possible for someone to get what they want because I'm community-based. I'm not here for the money. I have a day job for that, right? Australian and, and keyboards right now is no way able to support somebody full-time in the Sydney environment. I can tell you that right now. I don't know about the US, and obviously there are some people who try and make their entire living off keyboards, and if they're successful, kudos to you. But 
I'm doing this because it's a hobby. So I'm developing these products and if someone wants to clone it and they need help or support, then yeah, okay, that's fine. What does come up interestingly though is often people go, hey, I've done this. And then someone might go, hey, look, somebody's already done that before. That's actually happened to me. The other way where people's laid out a layout or they've done a hand wire or they've done a PCB and somebody tags me in it and goes, hey, check this out. And it's because it's a, either a very similar derivative or it's something that I've already done before or somebody's asking about, does this layout exist? And then I have a conversation with them and say, I've got this, I've got that. You know, I've actually sent PCBs to people that I've had left over from my own prototyping runs. I don't have a problem with it at all. And I think QMK should support clones because it helps drive interest and development. If somebody wants to build QMK and they're learning on how to build QMK and developing the software and learning programming and learning coding and how GitHub works, just like I had zero clue, then we should be there to support it. If it means a different way of managing QMK, then maybe that's the way that we should be thinking about it. We should be thinking about how do we manage a repository as opposed to how do we limit what is being put into that repository. The second thing that, you know, uh, the, the second person was Scully. Is it Scully or Voshu? Let me have a look. Uh, I apologize for for me having the delay in while I'm skimming through the discussion because I, I read it before. Um, so it, it's an issue about innovation that I'm trying to find what the actual specific comment was about. Um, yeah, okay. So so Scully Days was responding to uh, Vozechu, where they were saying that uh, we're getting a lot of feedback that the community are frustrated and we're considering keeping fakes out at all. My personal bias is that I want to encourage innovation and differentiation, but I don't want to have to judge whether someone's work is innovative or different enough. So that's really, really important here. A couple of episodes ago, you know, I talked about innovation. I talked about the innovation workshop that I attended and we had a definition of innovation, right? So <clears throat> innovation is something that's novel that provides value to the end user. <laughs> By changing your pinout, that's not necessarily novel or providing benefit to the end user, right? So, so if we go by pure innovation definition, then that's, that's really challenging. But, and this is going back to what I just said before, is that letting people build clones and make clones of PCBs, right? or reverse engineering PCBs that are no longer available, that is a stepping stone to innovation. Anybody who is trying to come up and develop like a numpad, if you've never designed a PCB in your life, I would say to you right now, go and look at Rui Kimao's uh, handy billy on how to actually build a PCB, because that's how I learned, right? Every person who has read that GitHub instruction on how to use KiCad, okay, is effectively cloning that PCB. They might not be taking it and running it to actual production, but that's what they're doing. They're learning, they're cloning. 
And nobody wants to spend 10 hours, 15 hours, 20 hours designing a PCB and then just going, you know what? I've learned how to use KiCad now, but I actually don't know if it works. But you know what? I'm okay with that because I'm not going to produce it because it's a clone. Well, that's silly. You should be able to go, you know what? I'm going to send it to my PCB fab. I'm going to spend the 50 bucks, whatever. I get this thing in my hand. I made, I built. Yeah, okay. I acknowledge it's a clone, right? And it might even use the same pins. But I'm going to write the software from scratch rather than porting something onto it so I can learn and have the confidence to go, next time I build another PCB, I'm doing it right. And I know that it works. And that's exactly what's happened to me, right? I built these. I designed these simple PCBs. They're clones of other PCBs. I wrote the firmware first using KB firmware because that was all I knew. And then I went and started doing edits in the back end of some of the files in uh, QMK all the way through to doing completely new designs of my own, gumping up bits and pieces of it, you know, missing traces and then producing it and going, why isn't this working? And then having to do wire jumps all the way to through where I'm now at the down bubble, where I've spent a lot of time doing the PCB multiple times before it got fab, then doing the software for it, getting it into QMK, into Configurator. Those steps would not be possible if they straight up said, you know what, we're not going to allow you to use clones at all or if the community was straight up going, we're not going to accept clones. I know that's very long-winded, but it's it's one of those things that as a hobby community, right? It's a hobby community that we are in. We're not in the, we're not in the space and position to be gatekeeping like this. At least that's my belief. Inclusivity is is one of these things that was mentioned here by uh, Vostu, sorry um, if I'm mispronouncing it, and I think we should be inclusive for a lot of different reasons. So so I'm going to end it there on that particular topic, only because, you know, we could just keep ranting on about it more and more, but at the end of the day, it's up to the people who run QMK on whether they want to or not. If they say they're not going to allow clones, then what we will see, and it was mentioned as well, is a lot of forks will start happening because it's open source. So unless if they start clamping down and going, you can't use this on your keyboard, well, you can. It's just less convenient for others to be able to get software for your clone. And with the powers of Taobao and AliExpress and other platforms overseas, well, you know, that's... You're never going to be able to stop people from accessing clones of boards. It just might make it harder. It might make it harder to be able to support them. But if people want it or need it, or because they don't want to pay full price for the original and market flipping, then the clones will always have a place in our community. So we should make them less of a stigma. And so people will feel less of a need to have to clone by going, you know what? And as Danny said on his post, you know, I should be doing a good enough job and supporting this well enough that people don't need to make a clone of my board. So there we go. Now, I spent a good amount of time on that, but that's okay. That's what that's what these these soapboxings are for, my two cents. <laughs> More than anything else. Now, I had another topic that was asked 
of me to, to have a look at and talk about, and that's what I'm rolling into. And it's a $1,000 keyboard. $1,000 keyboard. And this is not a Korean custom, not by a long shot. It's a video editing keyboard. It is the DaVinci Resolve Editor Keyboard. They are pitching the price at about a thousand US dollars. What is this keyboard all about? So DaVinci Resolve is a video editing software. I actually use it myself on the very, very small occasion when I need to stitch a bunch of videos together and I want to do a time-lapse. So the time-lapse content that I do, especially if I've got a build happening and I'm just trying to compress it into, you know, a minute and a half, two minutes or something like that, I use DaVinci Resolve. It is fantastic freeware. They've come up with the idea, you know what, let's put together a keyboard to make life easier for our users. So it's actually a modified QWERTY. And when I say it's a modified QWERTY, it's about the same size as a full-size keyboard, but a little bit bigger because it's got a bunch of macro pad style extras. We've got a block of of functional keys on the left-hand side. You've got your standard sort of 60%-ish in the middle with function row on top. You've got a numpad on the side without the nav cluster in between. And then on the far right, you've got a seek spin wheel, uh, a dial, whatever you want to call it, as well as a couple of extra switches on top. Details are a little bit light on this keyboard, except for the fact that it's got mechanical switches for a more tactile feel. And it seems like you can hot swap because the, the description from this article is that each switch and key is user replaceable in the event something breaks over time. So that's cool. It's USB-C supported, but it also has USB ports out so that you can plug in extra peripherals. And uh, yeah, so it's a thousand dollars. And the, th the comments in this are really interesting because it seems like most of the people who are here either claim it to be massively expensive, which it is, it's quite expensive, but also they point to custom mechanical keyboards only being in the range of three to $500. That could do essentially the same thing. And for most part, I'm going to say yes. There's, there's absolutely a 100% possibility that someone can just go and knock this off and make a clone. Funnily enough, what we were just talking about. No, so <laughs> you could you could easily lay out this sucker, right? In KLE, I could probably do it in about 10 minutes, right? And then I could start cracking on and making a full-blown PCB for this. And it would probably cost, I don't know, maybe... Oh, maybe 30 bucks per PCB for one of these, just a PCB, right, in a small run, okay, because it's quite large, okay. And now that we have rotary encoder support in QMK, you can replace that dial with a rotary encoder as well. So $1,000 is a lot of money. But then you got to think about what else is actually happening on this. And the image that we can get is a very high-resolution image. And I don't know if this is a render or if this is actually a prototype or production, so they look like DSA keycaps, for one, and and that's cool. But the thing that's most notable on this is the custom print. So 
anybody who is in the mechanical keyboard community and gets grouped by key sets knows that they're not cheap at all. They're not cheap at all. So if you're going to custom print a, a keyboard set, a key set, right, with what they've got here, it's going to cost you a lot of money. So even if they do a very large run, you're still looking at $100, $200 for key sets, right? And a lot of these are customized, not just by color, but by their legends. And I believe uh, PMK charges like, if these are double shot, by the way, because we don't know, right? If these are double shot keycaps, because you wouldn't want them wearing away naturally, um, unless of course they're die sub keycaps, but don't think they're die sub because just the way that they are, I don't think PMK does reverse die sub yet, so you've got light on dark. Then it would be double shot DSA. It's 50 bucks a keycap to set it up in the first place. And you've got like 26 of these at least. So the outlay cost of this is horrendously expensive. Then of course the manufacturing cost. So let's say 150 for just the keycaps alone, right? Look, it's a lot of money, and depending on the quality of the case, like it could be, it could be an aluminium case. I can't really tell. It might not be an aluminium case. A lot of these factors, and for early adopters, is that they're always going to be paying out the nose for a new product. That's, that's really the reality of it, right? You, you buy a new phone that's come out, it's very expensive. Over time, the price starts coming down as they get more things made. Okay, so I've just gone to B&H photo video through the link on the article, and it's an all-metal design, includes keycaps with tiered profile instead of flat keys. Integrated search dial is machined from solid metal. There's a hand rest involved. Uh, what else? And of course, plus the, the programming is very important. The programming is very important because the amount of time and hours that you would save in buying this rather than programming it in QMK yourself and setting it all up with the shortcuts, well, that's another cost, right? That you got to think about. How much is your time worth? Well, I don't know. Think about how much you get paid per hour and then think about how much time it would cost you to program it and work that money out. I think if it's an all metal design, that is where a lot of that cost is going to come into play. And then it starts to actually be more towards the idea of that it could be worth it. I'm not going to say that it's necessarily an accurate price to what you could remake one at, but it's certainly on the high end. However, if you're a professional video editor, right, and you're in industry and you're editing hundreds of hours of footage, a thousand bucks is nothing. Software at a thousand bucks is nothing. So, uh, yeah, it's very much to each person's use case. I do like it though. It's very clean. It looks really great. I don't understand the color coding on the actual uh, keycaps that they've got here. 
but there is color coding so it looks like all the movement is like the teal green you know reverse stop forward first frame last frame play previous and next as for some of the other ones you got blue ones you got gray ones black ones and red ones so there's, there's certainly logic to it i'm just not a professional at using davinci resolve to to utilize it and i certainly don't use it enough that i would buy one of these but if i felt that i had a need to I would probably be able to reverse engineer one of these. And then of course I'd get into a fight with QMK. Maybe. <laughs> We'd have to see about that. So yeah, a thousand bucks compared to how much you might get paid or how much money you make editing videos, especially if you can claim it on tax because it's for work, then hey, why not, right? And then it's gonna have warranty and everything else for a year of support or however long a warranty period is. Well, the more I think about it, the more it's actually reasonable. Reasonable? I'm going to still say it's expensive, but I'm not going to say it's unreasonable. Isn't it great how facts over time and considerations can help change opinion? Maybe that's just me. All right. Now, getting towards the end of the episode, so the last topic that I want to talk about, which is actually quite funny um, <laughs> is that somebody put up a picture of a keyboard they found on a co-worker's desk and when you first look at it you're like what the heck is that it's a diy keyboard and first looks it's it it's a shocker it's bits of wood that have been hand made and then it's got legends carved into it that have kind of been painted and it looks like a hillbilly hermit has made a 60% keyboard. The actual case and tray itself, according to the comments, is like a components tray from Arrow or at least, you know, from electronic suppliers. Um, and there's hot glue, right? So you know this thing is 100% a custom job of, of some nature that somebody's put together. But at the same time, I think it's brilliant because... Somebody's going, you know what, I've got the time and I've got the materials and I've got the tools. I'm going to make something that's super different and unique. And I like it. And I like it so much that I'm not embarrassed to take this to work. And it could be a conversation piece. It could be a, this guy's an absolute wacko, right? What is with that? But you know what? I, I'm saying congratulations for you for making this keyboard because it's got a certain charm about it which it's so unique. You're just not going to find somebody else with it. And it, it's so it's so different. It's so unusual because even the lettering in this is like the amount of time that was spent actually crafting this is, is really, really cool. What makes it even more so is that people noticed and commented that they've even done a numpad layering on it where they've put notches onto these wooden keycaps to indicate the number position on on the lead numpad. So they're obviously a Mac user here because you can kind of see like a, a Mac display at the top of the picture. But the also keyboard is control, option, and command rather than you know Windows and, and Alt key like you might find. Um, and they've got a function instead of the caps lock position on the left-hand side. So I'm going to say that this would have not been a quick job to make, 
because I don't know how the stems fit on this. Maybe they just cut a hole and they glued a stem or if they'd actually cut out the stem into the wood. It doesn't matter. They've gone to this effort and it's actually turned out in a weird quiche way really well. At least I thought so. Because there's a lot of people who are saying that like it's just janky and it's burnt out wood and it's yuck and stuff like that and it's ugly. But you know what? The fact that they love it enough that they can take it to work and don't have a problem with it being at work is enough that uh, I'm going to give them the, uh, the the big thumbs up as well. Right, so that wraps up for a very weird episode of The Board. No guests, no co-hosts, bit of rambling here and there. Uh, recorded at an unusual time frame because now I'm no longer pinned to having to record at the same time that Kevin's available. So it's a Sunday afternoon, so very shortly I will be releasing this. Uh, and I'm still recovering from a very big day out on Friday when I took the day off and went to the Easter show with the family. We walked a lot and my my hip adductors are still a little bit sore. Um <laughs> We successfully navigated the day without spending a horrendous amount of money too, which was really good. All the more money to perhaps not spend on keyboards. Now, next week, next week, long weekend for Easter. Hopefully I might be able to get somebody on and have a chat with them. And then I've got a couple of days throughout the week as well. So uh, I might have a chance to do a bit of a roaming interview kit kind of session. Uh, there might be a mini meetup that I might be able to get to, so that would be good as well if that happens and I can chat with some of our locals with the interview kit. So if you haven't seen that, uh, it is actually up on YouTube. We got a kit from Rode Microphones, courtesy of the My Rode Podcast competition. I didn't publish it onto Reddit simply because it's not directly keyboard related and I felt people would be like, mm, it's a microphone review. But if you want to check out the kit, and how easy it is to work with, then of course, please head over to our YouTube channel and check it out. And coming up tomorrow, I will be releasing a new keyboard review for a keyboard that was sent to me courtesy of Banggood. I kind of posted a teaser on Instagram the other day as well. So if you're interested in checking that out, please head over to YouTube or Reddit when I release that tomorrow. Plus, it's got a couple of uh, discount codes for some of the things that Banggood uh, looking to flog. So if you want to pick up something that uh, has a code, might save you a couple of bucks, then please do. So thank you very much, everyone, to listening to this episode. I want to say thank you, of course, to our Patreon supporters and our sponsors for continuing to support this show. And, of course, as usual, until next time, happy clacking.